It's the third Sunday of Advent, and today we are uh, focusing on the light of joy. We'll be reading from Psalm 126, verses 1 through 6. When the Lord brought back the captive ones of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with joyful shouting. Then they said amongst the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap with joyful shouting. He who goes to and fro weeping, carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed come again with a shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. The joy described in scripture is found not in daily pleasures, but in the certainty that God's care for us is genuine and his promises to us are forever true. We can rejoice in the Lord's promises for our present and future because we have witnessed and experienced his faithfulness in the past. Hey, good morning. My name is Stephen Salvis. I'm the associate pastor here at Grace Community Church. Matthew and his family are in Indiana, where Matthew performed a wedding yesterday. They'll be returning tomorrow. Pray for them uh, as they return home. Pray for a safe uh, trip for them. Uh, we are continuing our uh, Advent series. Uh, thank you so much to Rob and Courtney uh, for reading this morning. I, I really appreciate it. That The title of the message this morning is The Light of Joy. The Light of Joy. Let's bow our heads and ask the Lord to bless our time together. And Lord, it is good to be together. Thank you so very much. For the privilege that is ours to gather here in this room or to gather online, uh, whatever the case may be. Thank you that we can come. Thank you for songs of worship. Thank you for your word. God, would you speak to us today, please? Give us ears to hear. And we pray for your Holy Spirit to fall fresh on us today. Bless everything that happens in children's ministry. Thank you so much for those who are serving you uh, there. Uh, Lord, our goal is to glorify you. That is our ultimate aim. So may you be glorified this morning in us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Joy. So uh, when you think of joy, some of you may think of someone you know named Joy. Maybe like our own Joy Flora, or Joy McNeil, or Joy Isaacs, or Pam Joy O'Grady. Uh, or maybe you think of a favorite candy bar. An almond joy. 
Uh, maybe uh, you think of your wilder, younger days when you took your dad's car out without permission uh, and took a joy ride. Or maybe you think of someone who enters a room and sucks the fun right out of it. He's called a killjoy. Yeah. But most of you probably think of, uh, especially at this time of year, you probably think of uh, songs. Uh, maybe you think of one we've sung a lot here. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Or maybe you think of one, uh, a hymn you used to sing uh, years ago. Uh, one of my favorites, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. Uh, and then, of course, it's Christmas. Uh, you think of the song we sang uh, at the start of the service, uh, Joy to the World. And yet, I'm not naive enough to think many of you, some of you, Maybe one or two of you are thinking of the Jeremiah was a bullfrog version of Joy to the World. Am I right? I, I know it. I know it. Ah, joy. The song that comes to mind for me is a song we used to sing when I was a kid a lot uh, in uh, Sunday school and children's church. I've got the joy, 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 joy. Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart to stay. Yes, I've got the joy, 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 joy. Down in my heart. Let me ask you a question, Grace. Do you really? Do you really have joy? The joy of the Lord. Psalm 126, which Rob and Courtney read this morning, and I, again, thank them so much for that, was written after the Jews returned from their captivity in Babylon. Uh, and the writer of the psalm uh, describes their return to their homeland this way. Psalm 126. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are glad. The Jews were held captive in Babylon for 70 years uh, their first return happened in 538 B.C. They returned in waves back to their homeland. So uh, many of the returning uh, Jews uh, had been there for a lifetime. They were born in captivity. Uh, those who uh, had survived captivity but were taken captive during their lifetime uh, perhaps uh, longed for home in an even greater way. As a matter of fact, uh, the Bible says, the psalmist says, that when the time finally came, they were released from captivity. Uh, as they were, turning, were, were returning to Judah, it was like a dream. It was like a dream that were, they were going home. It seemed too good 
to be true. When I was a kid, I remember uh, going to uh, uh, baseball games at uh, whether it was RFK Stadium to see the Senators or uh, Memorial Stadium to see the Orioles. And I remember uh, these were stadiums. They weren't ballparks like we have today. Uh, they were concrete structures. Uh, but I remember as a kid walking through the portal. And when you get up and, and you're able to see the green of the baseball field, it, it's almost like a dream. It's like the Wizard of Oz sequence from the black and white house to opening the door and walking into Oz. That's what I thought it was like. Just going through that dingy gray portal into the the colors of the baseball field. And it, I, I, it was just a great feeling. I'm not telling you that's the experience these Israelites had. It had to be even much greater than that. And yet as a child, I thought this was amazing. They, as the Jews returned home, it was like a dream. It was too good to be true to them. Verse 2 says their mouths were filled with laughter. Their tongues filled with singing, there was excitement, there was jubilation at their return. And others saw it. People on the outside looking in said, the Lord has done great things for them. And the Jews were in agreement. Yes, he has. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are glad Verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 126 describe the Jews' return to their homeland, the feeling that they had uh, as they were heading home. Uh, those verses are followed by a prayer. Verse 4 is a prayer. Verse 4 says this, Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams to the south. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, it's a prayer to restore Israel to its former glory. The psalmist is praying for God to complete the restoration of his people to their land. Bring back our captivity, O Lord. Bring back those who are still in exile. Bring them back. And he uses the phrase, as the streams in the south. As the streams in the south. In the dry season, there was... Little to no water, but we're not experiencing that today here, are we? In the dry season, there was little to no water in the deserts to the south. But in the rainy season, the streams would overflow their banks. And the writer's asking the Lord to bring so many people back to the homeland that the roads toward Jerusalem are flooding with people. Bring them back. God, bring them back. John MacArthur summarizes this prayer this way. May our fortunes change from nothing to everything. Verses 5 and 6 then use the familiar principle of sowing and reaping. The Bible says this, Psalm 126, verses 5 and 6. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Remember, the land has been neglected for 70 years. 
Can you imagine how overgrown the fields must have been? It would take a lot of work to get them back to a place where they would produce as they used to produce. But persistence and perseverance would no doubt bring a harvest. Sheaves are bundles. No doubt bring a harvest, a sheep, a bundle of grain. After much work, the land would come alive again, he said. More exiles would return. It's a promise to the Jews then. It's a promise to the Christian today. As we labor for the gospel, sometimes in tears over the gospel, desiring to see others know Jesus, we shall reap in joy. Count on it, Christian. Count on it. There are five points to the message this morning. You can listen for these five things. The command of joy, the condition of joy, the source of joy, the benefits of joy, and the promise of joy. The command condition, source, benefits, and promise of joy. But before we dive into these uh, five points, uh, we probably should define joy. Here's what joy is not. Joy is not happiness. Happiness is dependent upon your circumstances. But the Bible commands us to have joy in every circumstance. Happiness and unhappiness cannot exist together. But joy and grief can and do. Mother Teresa defined joy this way. Joy is prayer. Joy is strength. Joy is love. Joy is a net of love by which we can catch souls. While all of that is true, I worked out my own definition of joy this week. Uh, I'm not saying it's fully complete. I'm sure there are holes in it. Maybe a theologian would uh, critique it some. Uh, but this is what I have, and I'll continue working on this for a lifetime. This is a Pastor Steve definition. You ready? Joy is an ongoing or ever-present contentment based not on circumstances, but on a steadfast faith in the promises of God, on a commitment to obey the Word of God, and on the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. Joy. With that, let's move to point number one. The command of joy. The command of joy. Throughout the Bible, God's people are commanded to have a joyous outlook on life. It's an expectation that we exude joy in the Christian life. That we live out of an abundance of joy. Listen to what the Bible says. 
But let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. Psalm 5, 11. Psalm 5 is a psalm of King David. It's a prayer for the Lord, to the Lord for guidance. Verse 8 says this, Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. So King David is experiencing great opposition at this time to his kingship. And he begged the Lord to defend him here. To fight his enemies on his behalf. David recognized his complete and full dependence on the Lord. And in order for David to be delivered, God was going to have to fight for him. And David finishes the psalm with a command to rejoice. All who trust in the Lord, to include himself even in difficult circumstances. Even with criticism all around him, even with enemies trying to overthrow him. David said this, shout for joy. He writes, let those who love your name be joyful in you. Continuing with the command of joy, Psalm 47, verse 1. Oh, clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God for the joy of, for the voice of, uh, for the voice of triumph. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. New King James Version, that is. The NASB says this. Shout to God with a voice of joy. Or the uh, ESV says, Shout to God with loud songs of joy. The NIV, shout to God with cries of joy. Psalm 47 is a call for God's people to praise him with a voice of joy, with cries of joy, with shouts of joy, loud songs of joy. Why? Because God is awesome. Verse 2 says it. God is awesome, so shout for joy. God is great. Verse 2, shout for joy. God is sovereign, verses 3 through 9. Shout for joy. Do it. It's a command. It's a command. Here's another one. Romans chapter 12. Be kindly affectionate one to another. With brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Matthew talked about hope two weeks ago. There's hope in Christ. There is hope in his death on the cross. There's hope in his resurrection. And there is joy in that hope. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Rome, Rejoice in the hope that you have in Christ. It's a command given by Paul through the inspiration of the Spirit of God. And it was to the church at Philippi that Paul wrote these words. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And later, same letter, Paul wrote these words. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice There's a theme of joy that runs through Paul's letter 
to his church at Philippi. If I counted correctly, the words joy or rejoice or a variant of them appears about 17 times in that little letter. But what's important to know is this. Paul is writing from prison. Paul's circumstances stink. And he's writing about joy. Have joy. Rejoice in the Lord. Paul's able to maintain an attitude of joy even in his circumstances. And encourage other believers to live out that same attitude because joy is not dependent on our circumstances. Notice the word in Philippians chapter 4, that word, always rejoice in the Lord and what he has done always. God's promises are true. No matter your circumstances, rejoice always. Paul wrote the same words to the church at Thessalonica. Rejoice always, he wrote. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice always. Uh, many people think uh, these are three separate commands, with only one of them being the will of God, and that's the last one. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. It's actually a bundle of commands, all of which are God's will for you. It is God's will that you give thanks in everything. It is God's will that you continue instant in prayer. Pray without ceasing. And it is God's will that you rejoice always, living out of an abundance of joy. That is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. But it's not only the Apostle Paul who writes about joy and the command to be joyful in the New Testament. James, the brother of Jesus, chapter 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Count it all joy. Count it all joy, Christian it's a command, not only in the good times, but also in the hard times. I'm going to talk about this verse a little later, so stay tuned for that. Joy is a command. Joy is also conditional. Point number two, the condition of joy. You cannot have real joy if you are mired in sin. And David committed adultery with Bathsheba when he had uh, her husband Uriah killed on the battlefield. He wrote in Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And uphold me with thy free spirit. Look at those words. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Third line up, midway through. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. 
Where there was once joy, there is emptiness because of sin. Give me back my joy, Lord. Please restore my joy. Psalm 51 is a confession of sin and a plea for God's mercy and forgiveness. Only in confession, admitting my sin, and only in repentance, turning away from my sin, can joy be found again. You cannot live out of joy when you're mired in sin. There's no joy in sin. There is pleasure in sin. Oh, there's pleasure in sin. The Bible makes clear that we can enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Hebrews eleven twenty five say this, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. But wait. Last line, first word. What's that say? It says, enjoy. Enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. The word joy is in the word. So isn't there joy then in sin? And this is what I'll tell you. It's a mistranslation of the word. Because it doesn't say in the Hebrew, enjoy, or pardon me, the Greek, enjoy. It says, then to have the passing pleasures of sin. It's not enjoy, because you cannot have joy in sin. You can be happy in sin. For a little while, there's no joy in sin. Like Psalm 51, Psalm 32 is written by David, and it's linked to his, linked to his sin with uh, Bathsheba. This is what Psalm 32 says, verses 3 through 5. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. When I kept silent, when I refused to acknowledge my sin, I was miserable. There was no relief for me. There was no joy for me. But when I acknowledged my sin... When I confessed my sin, God was faithful to forgive. And what was the result? Psalm 32, last verse in the psalm. Psalm 32, 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. David's joy is returned. His prayer in Psalm 51, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. It's answered. Joy is conditional. Obedience to God's commands is required. Jesus said this, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love, 
These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Hear me on this. Sin is a killjoy. Sin is a killjoy. But obedience brings true joy. Point number three, the source of joy. Psalm 16, David wrote these words. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 21, reading from the uh, New American Standard here. Lord, in your strength the king will be glad. And in your salvation, how greatly he will rejoice. You have given him his heart's desire, and you have not withheld the request of his lips, Selah. For you meet him with the blessings of good things. You set a crown of pure gold on his head. He asked for life from you. You gave it to him. Length of days, forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you place upon him. For you make him most blessed forever. You make him joyful with the joy of your presence. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm chapter, uh, ver, uh, Psalm 16, verse 11. You, God, make the king joyful with the joy of your presence. Psalm 21, 16. Dr. Sam Storms is a retired pastor uh, from Oklahoma. He is an author, um, a, a speaker. Uh, he's the founder of Enjoying God Ministries. If I uh, remember correctly, it was about a year ago that he was actually on Hilton Head Island uh, speaking at a church uh, nearby. Uh, this is what Sam Storms says. Joy is not necessarily the absence of suffering. It is the presence of God. To that, I say amen as well. Do you want joy? Then run to the Lord. Run to him. Stay in his presence. Read his word. Meditate on his word. Pray without ceasing. You will know joy because he, God, is the source of all joy. Real joy that you can have. Chapter 4 of the Gospel of Luke. Jesus came to Nazareth, as was his custom, the Bible says. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And he read some verses out of the book of Isaiah. And those verses come out of chapter 61. This is what Isaiah wrote about Jesus. Jesus read these words about himself. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord 
that he may be glorified. Isaiah is speaking of Jesus here. Jesus is the fulfillment of these words in Isaiah 61. Look at them closely. Verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. The Lord has appointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Then verse 2. He has sent me to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion. He has sent me to give them beauty for ashes. He has sent me to give them the oil of joy for mourning. He has sent me to give them the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. God sent Jesus to give the oil of joy also that God may get all the glory. When Jesus was born, what did the angels say to the shepherd? The angels came to the shepherds in the fields. They said this, the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The news of Jesus' birth brought joy. It brought joy to all people because the Messiah had come. Don't miss this, Grace. The source of joy is God the Father, our sovereign Lord. In his presence is the fullness of joy, the Bible says. Oh, but the source of our joy is God the Son, that is Jesus, who was sent to be the oil of joy and whose coming brought great good news of great joy. And the source of our joy is God the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Love, joy. It's number two on the list. Number two on the list. That's pretty high. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And joy is yours, Christian. It is yours. The source of your joy is each person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Point number four, the benefits of joy. After returning from captivity uh, in Babylon, Nehemiah led the people back to their homeland to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. When it was completed, uh, the people gathered together in an open square to hear the scriptures read publicly. This is what the Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 8. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared, 
For this day is holy to the Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You hear the reaction of the people when the scriptures were read? The Bible says they all wept. They were hearing the law read to them, and they recognized their sinful condition, and they wept before the Lord in confession and conviction of their sin. This is what they were told. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Listen to what Tony Evans says about this verse. Tony Evans, pastor in Dallas, Texas, writes this. What you focus on governs how you feel. The reason why many of us stay grieved for so long is because we stay focused on what is so wrong. Rather than finding our chief joy in the Lord, we turn on the TV to escape. We enter into illegitimate relationships to escape. We get involved with drugs or alcohol to escape. And then he writes this. If your focus is properly situated on the Lord, however, he will give you his joy, and his joy will give you strength. There is strength in joy. There's also good health in joy. Proverbs 17, verse 22 in the NASB says, A joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. What's happening on the inside of you, emotionally, affects your physical well-being. Living out of joy, choosing joy, is healthy. And we heard a first-hand testimony of that several weeks ago from Barb Wiebe. Thank you again, Barb. God is faithful. And his word is true. Joy has a positive effect on the body. Has a positive effect. Promised I'd come back to this verse. Later, James chapter 1 says this, My brother encountered all joy when you fall into various trials, but why? Why count it all joy? Because joy always has something to look forward to. That's why. In this case, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. My parents sent me to Christian school when I was entering into the sixth grade. I was 10 years old when I was going into the sixth grade. I turned 11 that year. Uh, The transition was difficult for me. Uh, It was not uh, easy. I had never taken a a Bible class for a grade before. I was saved when I was nine. Uh, Never, uh, you know, the Bible was Sunday school class and, you know, fun. And uh, here I go to a Christian school. I have to take a Bible class for a grade. Uh, We studied the book of James that year. And we were required, I'm ten, Okay? We were required to memorize the entire book of James. 
Five chapters long. I can't remember how many verses. 105 maybe, I'm not sure. Woo! A verse a day. A verse a day. Can I tell you something? Here's how, it, here's how the grading went. For the first one or, one or two chapters, um, if you missed one word, you got a point off. If you miss a the, that's one point off. If you miss one the, you get everything right, you get a 99. That's pretty good. All right. About uh, into, uh, you know, once you get a lot more verses, they started taking a half a point off. I was still getting negative scores. All right. I, it was horrible. It was a terrible experience for me. Memorizing? I was 10, but I was pretty stubborn. All right, I'm getting an F. Failing is like losing to me, and losing is like dying to me. It was back then. I've, I've mellowed out some. I could not fail. So I started looking forward to every quiz and every test and every opportunity to memorize another verse. Because I knew the only way I was going to raise this failing grade to a passing grade was through tests and quizzes. Now, I have no joy in tests and quizzes, mind you. But I realized what they would bring for me. So I looked forward to them. Hey, assign more! I need more to do. And I eventually raised my grade. And yes, as a matter of fact, I memorized the entire book of James. One of the last kids in the class to do it. And I missed three words. I got a 98 and a half. And I was pretty happy with it. I was pretty happy with it. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Memorizing the book of James was a trial for me. But I realized I needed every test and every quiz, which were many trials, in order to achieve something I needed to achieve. Trials, difficulties, hardships are opportunities for growth. Just like those quizzes and tests were opportunities for growth for me. Trials and difficulties and hardships are opportunities for growth in the life of the believer. The word patience in verses 3 and 4 means perseverance. Persevere, Christian. Or endurance. If you get through trials here, you'll have an easier time getting through trials later in life. You get this grace. Joy looks forward to a promise. A promise of something better, which brings us to our final point. The promise of joy. In the Gospel of John, on the night he was betrayed and uh, arrested, Jesus told his disciples that he was going away. And the disciples were confused by this. They were troubled by this. Listen to what Jesus said to them in John chapter 16. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, and he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? 
a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful. But your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour is come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. No one can take away your joy. No one. Here's another promise. As difficult as this life may be at times, the Bible promises this. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Joy is promised. I asked a question at the start of the message. Do you have the joy, 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 joy down in your heart? If you are a Christian, the answer is yes. Because as I said, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. You already have it in you. The question is whether you will live out of that joy or be miserable. Joy doesn't mask sorrow or grief. They're real emotions. But there is joy even in sorrow. Because I know God's promises. And I believe them to be true. One final promise. As a reminder, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Praise the Lord. Let's bow our heads. Lord, again, I'm so thankful for your word, thankful for the power of it, thankful for the fact that it is alive, and your Holy Spirit uses it to change us. Do that, please. Do that in us, God. May we live out of an abundance of joy, looking forward to the hope that we have in Christ. This life can be difficult. There's no question about it. God, may that never affect our joy. Even so, come Lord Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please stand and join us for our closing hymn.